0: Good evening. Good to see everybody. It'd be good to be back together tonight. I will clarify before you see the lesson above me on the, my above my head. This is not motivated by Mother's Day. Hope you know that. But uh, I do think it's good for us to look at some matters on theology and what the scriptures have to say on them. And I think this is a very important one. What does the Bible say? What are the implications of the beliefs surrounding uh, the concept? Of equality of sin you know when I think about when I look about my children and disciplining them I have one my oldest who I'll warn her when she does something wrong and after she gets that warning the second time she gets her discipline it's not as hard it's not as tough kind of a warning slash discipline uh, number three she gets the full discipline and that step and then if one of the other kids if Wyatt or Emmett do it and she sees me giving them a warning she's says, wait a minute I got a different punishment than him. Yeah, your last time you did, but you had gotten warnings before then. I think we want to be very careful about that. We want to look at what the Scriptures have to say about sins, about the consequences of them and what the Bible has to say about sins and how or whether they are equal. So let's take a look at this tonight. So were you taught that all sins were equal and essentially the same? When I was growing up, I was taught against this. I'm always willing to reconsider where I stand on a certain position, and I think we need to open our Bibles and just look at what the Scriptures say. Are all sins equal, or are they essentially the same? I think you can see, maybe you might be able to see both sides of that. And I think it's good. When I, when I try to study something, I want to look at this side and both of them. I want to look at both of them. I also want to look at the middle ground. Maybe there's somewhere in the middle to stand that's biblically speaking. But in the end, it's what the Bible says. When I put everything in the Bible, all, all these verses together, what do I come to? Uh, one of the classes I took in my graduate studies, I took it in undergrad as well, is studying theology. And in theology classes, it's a topical Bible study. And I have, I used to have one theology book. Now I have like a dozen different theology texts. And you open them, it's kind of like questions and answers. you got a question about creation. you got a question about uh, the nature of sin. Uh, you got a question about, and every one of them has a fancy name assigned to them. you got a question about sa- salvation, it's called soteriology. you got a question about the church, it's, it's ecclesiology. Of course, the question about God is theology. And you can go down the, down the list. And then sin is ham- hamartiology. All of them have Greek words in them. But anyways, we do this when we used to do a Bible study. When you studied baptism, when you became a Christian, you went through and you looked at all the verses on baptism. I encourage you to do the same thing in this study want to make sure that we are on the right track. To me, one of the things that kind of decides the factor for me right away is what did Jesus say? And I want you to look at this passage, and we'll look at a few others as well tonight and how we reason on this subject. Again, if I'm wrong on something tonight, I'm very happy to hear another uh, what, what the truth is. But I'm, I'm going to do my best to stick to the Scriptures and let me know if my reasoning is wrong. All right, in his trial, Jesus revealed that not all sin is equal. And what does that mean, equal? Because some people would say, well, what I mean by equal is everybody sins and everybody is condemned. And if that's what you mean, I think you're on track more than some others. I'm going to show you what some others are saying when they say that sin is equal, because it is, is not the same thing. Jesus said this, and he revealed this to Pontius Pilate in John 19 and verse 11. He said to him, and he's in this great discussion. They're saying, crucify him. This is after Jesus has the crown of thorns on his head. He's been scourged. He's put the robe on him. Pilate shows him to the Jews, to the Pharisees. They're yelling, crucify him. They're saying the law says that this man should be put to death. They're standing there in defiance. Pilate brings him back into the headquarters, to to the praetorium. And Pilate questions him and says, listen to me. Are you the son of God? Tell me, speak to me what's going on here. And it says in the text of John that Pilate was afraid and then Jesus says this to him, you would have no authority over me. And Pilate says to him, I have authority to let you go. Jesus says, you have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Notice the word he. It's singular. It's a man. It's talking about Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas is the one who did this. So Jesus noted that the high priest Caiaphas had committed a greater sin because of his greater authority. And that's from Jesus' mouth right here. He says again, therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And so we wanna ask the question a little bit further tonight, well, what does that mean he has the greater sin? Well, this, this, Within this context, you have Caiaphas sinning against Jesus. You have him, he's more culpable, isn't he? He's to blame, he's responsible for what is happening here. Yes, Pilate is too, but as Jesus revealed to him, it was the one who delivered me to you, Caiaphas, who has the greater sin. So to say that there's a difference between sins and say that one sin is greater than another is not unbiblical, in fact, it is biblical. I wanna look at that a little bit further. Some sins are larger, and some sins are more egregious than others. And we're going to take a look at that a little bit further. We're also going to look at another scripture here from James that is often used to uh, make the case that all sin is equal in every single way. I want to be very careful about that. I want to be very precise on it. I want you to also know, uh, you can Google this, Christian Courier from Wayne Jackson, Apologetics Press. Kyle Butt has an article on this, and I think you'd appreciate their answers as well. Let's look a little bit further here. We want to avoid contradictions. When it comes to theology, we got to learn logic. Theology is so closely related to philosophy uh, in some ways. Philosophy is more natural looking at creation, whereas theology is what do we know about the Creator, about God and His, from His revealed Word. And in this, One thing that's driven into preachers is this passage right here. Paul says it to Timothy. It's the very end of what Paul wants to say to Timothy, the young preacher. He says, listen to me. And he says here, he says, don't pay, avoid all babble, foolish babble. Avoid any kind of contradiction because those contradictions are what people lead people away from the faith. And Paul had seen other preachers like Demas and so forth be led away and led out into the world because they did not reason well. All right, so listen to this. Saying no sin is greater than another is a contradiction to Christ. We see that from John 19, verse 11. We looked at that before. Here is the flaw here. It's called a false equivalent, in logically speaking. Because A is a kind of C and B is a kind of C, this does not mean that A and B are equal. What does that mean? All right, so Emmett here, they're both asleep, so they can't hear me. Emmett here is a boy. A equals C. Why is a boy, B equals C. Therefore, Emmett and Y are the same person. No, no, it doesn't make sense. And so when we think about sin, we might say, well, murder is sin, pride is sin, and therefore, they're both the same thing. They both have different, uh, they have the same value and so forth, same, same cost. So we want to look at that a little bit further tonight and make sure that we're reasoning right about it. So let's think about it in this way, because prejudice is sin and abortion is a sin, are prejudice and abortion equal. There is prejudice and, a, and egregious sin, you know, as dismembering an unborn child. And the reason I use those two words right there is because in James chapter two, where it's often made a strong case that, as some would say, well, sin is equal. They go to James two, uh, those are making the case in verses nine through 11. And in the very first verse, it talks about, in James 2, you got to remember the context. James is writing, and people are coming into church, into their church building, the Greek word, their synagogue, and so those Christians are seeing those who are more wealthy, and they're saying, here, you sit next to me, but those who are poor, you stand up here, sit by my footstool. That's acting with partiality. It's acting with prejudice. And James is saying, don't do that. Don't think yourself greater or better than other people. And that is certainly something we want to learn, that we've all sinned. And we should not think of ourselves in different levels based upon, upon sin. And so James addresses that, and he says, "Listen to me, you who sin, no matter where you are, you're all breaking that law." And we're going to look at that a little bit further. While I'm on it, I don't want to forget these illustrations. I've heard it described this way: breaking the law. So some parts of that law. If it was a long chain in here, if it was a thousand links long. You might have one part that you break and someone might have another part that they break. But when you break it, even though you break maybe the weaker, the lesser one, as far as sin goes, you still break the whole thing and you're still guilty of it all. So breaking a chain is an example, another is, is when you break a mirror. So someone takes a hammer, hits the middle of a mirror, it shatters, it falls down. Yeah. You see that. Or if you take the hammer and you hit it in the corner, is the mirror still broken? Yeah, it's broken. I don't know if you can get any more use out of it, but it doesn't matter. You broke the standard, that reflection to you. In the Bible, in James chapter one, talks about God's law, his law of liberty being a mirror. So why is this why I brought up prejudice and abortion, or you could do it as, as a partiality? And then he says right after that murder and adultery. So here's that passage right here. James 2, 9-11. through But if you show partiality, you are committing sin or are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's the truth. We're all transgressors. We're all sinners. There's a difference between us and the world and the fact that we want to be repented, forgiven, obedient, faithful to Christ, relying on His forgiveness and grace, and as opposed to those in the world who are not doing that. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of it all. If you're going to make a case for equality, A sin, that would be the main passage you would go to. One fault, one sin makes you guilty of it all. But like Jesus said, that does not mean that every sin, that one sin is not greater than another. He does say one is greater than another. It does mean that you are guilty. For he who said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not murder, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So he gives a warning to them. All stand before God. We also see this. This is part of it. Another part of it is that all have sinned. Romans 3 and verse 23. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 5 and verse 12 says that sin is spread to all men because all have sinned and they have received condemnation. Romans 5 and verse 20, 12. And then you read in Romans 6 and verse 23. It says the promise of God is for eternal life. Those who are obedient and following him, and those who are faithful, but those who, don't, who reject him and don't listen, they uh, receive condemnation. Death is the end of it. So uh, sins do share the same condemnation, but they don't share the same level. We're going to see that in a moment. So who is forgiven? The repentant sinner of great sins or the unrepentant sinner of few sins? And I think that's a part of our humility as well. We want to ask that question. All right, so sins are also not equal in Consequences. The Bible makes this very clear. Jesus revealed that there are greater and lesser punishments and judgment in hell uh, for sin. And if you have your Bible, you can see that in Luke chapter 12. Jesus tells the parable here and he tells the consequences of it. Luke chapter 12. Look down in verses 47 and 48. Jesus is warning them to be ready. He talks about the servant who's not ready when the master comes home. He says, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him of whom they have entrusted much, they will demand the more. And this again is applied to the consequences of sin. There will be a great or greater amount of stripes according to sin when you go to god and if you're going to god without christ and you were to stand before him on the day of judgment you're all going to be found guilty some are going to have more heinous sins or no more in number and the judgment for them does vary and i think as well with my children when you discipline children you know that as well that it can vary depending on the child what they're doing did they did in rebellion did they do it from ignorance even if they might have done something very similar. Here's another one. Jesus uh, reported that Sodom and Gomorrah will receive greater tolerance than Capernaum. Jesus says, Capernaum, you've rejected Christ. The Messiah has come to you. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to have more of a toleration on the day of judgment than you will. And that's very striking. So we have other passages like this. You also have an emphasis from Paul that anybody who adds or takes away from the gospel... Will be accursed. They will be, as in Greek, it's anathema. If you use the American Standard Translation actually uses the word anathema, it means condemned to the greatest extent. There's a great condemnation if we were to change God's word and his gospel. And here we have another example of that. We start to see that the consequences do vary. And I want you to think about this as well, because I have a lot more scriptures. I'm gonna have an article I've written on this. I'm gonna post it soon. And it has much more scripture giving you more details. you can look through but I'm giving you the highlights here. All right, for the Christian there are commands, doctrines, and virtues that are greater than others. So you start thinking about sins being greater then you gotta ask the question are there things that are greater as far as God's law? In Matthew 23 remember Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he said you are neglecting the weightier matters of the law of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. What were they doing? They were focusing on tithing, spices, Probably they were growing in their own garden or whatever it, they had and they were taking a tenth of it and they had a big deal about that, but here they were lacking in justice, mercy, and faithfulness. There are virtues and things in the Scriptures that matter more than others, and we're going to look at that a little bit further in detail. All right, so what are those greater matters? So A, a first importance of the gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection. The Bible says that, and you can't say everything in the Bible is equal, but here's the thing about the gospel. It's the basis of all of our theology, everything we believe, every, every conclusion we come to reach, that the fact that the Son of God came, the Messiah came, he gave us his words, gave us instruction, that he died for us, and he rose again. So our basis of our faith. But Paul says this is of first importance. Also note this. You remember there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is, are some virtues greater than others? Paul says, faith, hope, and love are greater than the spiritual gifts. Uh, You think you can speak in tongues. You think you can prophesy. Those things are temporary. They're not going to last. What matters are these things that last? Faith, hope, and love. And then he says, the greatest of these is love. You got a virtue there that's greater than the others. Now, you might say, well, what is love and loving God and loving others without faith? And I don't know if you really can do that, can you? Or have hope. But they all do work together. And again, Paul does say one is love greater than another. We also see this, uh, they're the greatest commands. And some of my, might say, wait a minute, all the law hangs on it, Jesus says, on those two commands, that's right. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the greatest commands, but the fact that they are the greatest, they're the motivation, they're the heart behind everything else. I've often heard the point made, if these are the greatest commands, what's the greatest sin? Not love God, not love your neighbor. I think there's a point there. And then we see this. We see some other things. First John chapter 5, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. What does that mean? What, what is the sin that does not lead to death? First of all, he's talking about number one you see right here. His brother is committing a sin and he shall ask and God will give him life. It sounds to me like 1 John chapter 1. So here's chapter 5. Chapter 1 says, If you continue to walk in the light, all your sins will be washed away by the blood of Christ. And if you confess your sins, your sins will be washed away. So there's a difference there, whether you're walking in the light or not, on the value of your sin and its consequences and condemnation. To those who commit sins that lead not to death, there is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin but there is sin that does not lead to death. And I believe Paul is clearly saying here, there's a difference between willful sinning and practicing a sin as someone who may commit a sin in, in ignorance, not unknowingly, maybe offend a brother or sister in Christ, that there is a sin where you're living in life and you stumble. In fact, John mentions that. He says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And then he says, but you need to walk in the light for the blood of Christ to wash away your sins. Again, 1 John chapter 1. To John, again, I think it made it clear here what sin he is referring to. And if we practice sin, the confessing of sin is not going to help much. If, if confessing your sin leads you to repentance and that changes you, of course, you might be able to reason that way. All right, here are some false conclusions. What are the consequences of equating all sin? Of saying that this man over here who committed the sin of rape or pedophilia or some kind of sin, egregious sin, that we are disturbed by, murder, whatever it might be, as compared to someone who is a gossip, who tells those white lies, or who excessively speeds and breaks uh, some of the laws of the land, are they same? Are they the same? I think, uh, first of all, if you're standing before God in the day of judgment, yeah, everybody is going to have judgment. But... Those sins are not all equal. In fact, as you start to study and you go through looking at them, different sins have different consequences and greater than others based upon their nature and what you're doing. When you look at murder in Genesis chapter 9 and we look at how Cain killed Abel and the conviction is against God's own image. When you kill someone and take their life, you're sinning against their blood and against their image. And the scriptures go through, even the Lord's Supper, and saying, if you take the Lord's Supper and you're not having the right mindset, you are profaning the Lord's Supper, profaning the death of Christ. So there are different consequences, different implications upon what one does. I want you to look at these three things tonight. Here is probably my number one concern with this because I've seen it, I've heard it, I've seen it in churches, I've seen it in denominations. This is what we want to be very, very careful about. we're talking about sin, yes, it equally condemns. But as Jesus said, one is greater than another. Is there a difference in the church uh, between the sexual offender and a person who struggles to forgive someone else? It was suggested to me, you could put right here, is there a difference between that person? So, first of all, have they repented or not? It's going to be a question you ask. If they both repented, that's good. But what you're not going to do is someone who struggles with stealing, you're not going to make them the treasurer. And someone who struggles in a certain sin, you're not going to put them in an area of temptation again. It's just smart. You're not going to do that with any family member, with your children, anybody, your, your spouse, anybody. You don't want to put them in that situation. The Bible says it is wrong. And Jesus talks about those who sin like this. In Mark chapter 9, and when I read this, because of the other things Jesus said in like manner, it sounds like sin against children, and I think you may get my implication here. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 42, listen to what Christ says. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his head and he were thrown into the sea. Is that true for every sin? A millstone would be hung around his head. And then listen to how he confronts it. Jesus then confronts this. If you're you're causing this little one to stumble, he confronts it like he has previously confronted sexual sin. In verse 43, and it says, and if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands and to go into hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And he goes on. And so Jesus gives that warning right there. And there is certainly a difference there between Uh, those sins. Next thing we see this is, can the innocent spouse divorce the spouse guilty of fornication? And I've heard Churches of Christ debate this, that, well, if the one who committed fornication repents, then the other one has to accept them back. And it seems to ignore so much about what the scriptures are teaching there. First of all, Jesus says, if your spouse commits fornication, then you have the exception to divorce them. It doesn't say whether they repent or not. There may be trust issues there. And there may be a long history of forgiving them before, and they said they repented. I forgave them before. They said they repented, and it comes to a point where it becomes abusive, and they're abusing the situation. Again, Jesus gives the exception there for divorce, for fornication, Matthew 19 and verse 9. And in this situation, someone might say, well, listen, the innocent spouse there has committed some kind of sin, they've done something wrong in their life, they committed some kind of sin uh, at one point, maybe some, sometime in their life they told a lie. Because most people would say, some point in my life I did do that. Anybody who says I never committed lies, I said they never could said a lie is probably a liar. But uh, when you look at this, the innocent spouse here, we can't just say, well, they've committed their own sins and I've heard people say this. We've all sinned, we can't judge anybody else anybody else who's done wrong, and they will misquote John 8 and verse 7, a quotation attributed to Jesus not to cast the first stone. And I've heard that, and I've heard it among churches, and I've heard it among denominations. That is also a misapplication of John chapter 8. So how does equating all sin affect church discipline and withdrawal from those practicing sin? This is one I see the most common. I hear it in churches. Someone comes in and we have two men or two women who have married each other and are sitting in the congregation and want to become members, and people will say, well, our sin is no greater than theirs. We've all sinned, and this is how churches are reasoning now. Not much in the churches of Christ. I've only heard a few think like this. Therefore, we can't judge them. We can't tell them that you've done wrong. It'd be like Corinth saying to Paul, Paul, we got your letter about the man took his father's wife But, you know, we've all sinned. We can't really judge him, so we just let it go on. And that has been the reasoning on these matters, where people have opened up the church, number one, to abuse from a sexual offender or from some other individual because they didn't recognize the differences between sin and temptation, that they have put so much on somebody in regards to their marriage that they could not resolve it in a good way, and it only ends up hurting them. And then lastly, churches. I've heard this over and over again of churches. Now, as far as the churches of Christ, you do see this, not on homosexuality, but on a number of sins. We cannot cast the first stone is what they say, and they will not discipline someone openly living in sin. There are differences there, and we want to be aware of that. Are there sins that are greater than others? Jesus says, yes. When we look at the Scriptures, why that is, what the difference is between them. I challenge you tonight, I want to listen carefully to the Bible. I want to search the scriptures for the truth. I want to study every detail on the matter. What does the Bible say? And then make our conclusion. I encourage you, try to make the case for both sides. Recognize that great or small sins do condemn. And I encourage you tonight, there is no sin too great, that Christ cannot forgive. The Bible says over and over again, Colossians says this, chapter 2, that if you become a Christian and you're baptized, all sins are washed away. All sins can be forgiven. And it's true, all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. In Acts chapter 2, those who are convicted by the gospel sermon there said, Brothers, what shall we do? The Bible tells us that they had already believed and they had confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Tonight, you need to be baptized. You're asking, what shall we do? Do this. If you have a struggle in your life and we can pray with you, let us do that. I encourage you right now, whatever your needs may be, come forward while we stand and while we sing.